Hey everybody, welcome back to our podcast. This is the FBC Young Adults Podcast out of Huntsville, Alabama. My name is John Lemons. I'm the minister to young adults here at First Baptist Church. I'm joined by Sam Maxwell. He's our ministry resident to young adults. Hey, and Scott Day, who is our missions minister, and Allie Day, his wife. We are here to talk about the Enneagram. We are on week three out of four weeks, and we are joined by Scott and Allie, who are resident experts of this uh, of this uh, tool and diving into our personality a little bit more. And I will say, like, we've been doing this now, um, like I said, three weeks. It's been a lot of fun uh, doing it together. We pick up more and more listeners every week. It kind of uh, is astonishing me. I checked this past week, and we had two downloads in Palestine, uh, oh, wow. which was interesting. I don't know if somebody, like, clicked our names accidentally and just happened to download it. Whatever. We're glad to uh, glad to have them. Plenty of listeners in and around Huntsville as well, so glad to have those, obviously, as well. If you are a young adult in our young adult ministry, hopefully you've gotten our young adult email this past month. If not, go to fbchsv.org slash youngadults and be sure to look at that. One of the things that we have on there is a service project list where we, we encourage our young adults every month to try to do something, some sort of service uh, to our community or, or to uh, people in our church or through our church, uh, just as a way to continue to live out our faith, continue to be made into the image of Jesus. And one of the things on there, or a couple of things on there as ideas, are what we would call blessing bags. And I wanted to ask um, Scott a little bit more about that, because Scott just had some blessing bags that we did out of our missions ministry that were donated to the hospital, to the nurses over there. So Scott, like, tell us what a blessing bag is. And tell us why it's a beneficial tool um, to use, you know, as a as a ministry or as a, a service gesture uh, to those in need. Yeah, one of the things that I love about our church is that uh, our mission work, truthfully, is a work of everyone. So the blessing bags was an idea of Debbie McDaniel, and basically just said, "Hey, we've got, you know, 150." Or so nurses at Huntsville Hospital that are working in some way with the COVID floor, can we do something with them? And so we filled up a bag full of donated candy and uh, pins and just different types of treats, nutrition bars, breakfast bars. Um, some individuals got coffee gift cards and stuck them in a bag and then put um, the church's contact information on there and just said, hey, we're thinking about you. Hope this helps you out this week. So um, those went to about 150 nurses. We've been trying to do something once a week with some different entity in Huntsville, whether those are teachers or nurses or uh, different medical personnel. So this week, we're going to send some bags to Huntsville High School staff and teachers as they go back to school. So it's, you know, it's a small token. It's a small gesture of just simply saying, we're thinking about you guys. Um, here's our contact. If you need anything, if there's anything that we can pray for or anything that we can do, to take the next step in a relationship, let's at least start this conversation. So, and we've had a lot of really, really gracious and kind notes of just saying, hey, this week was really tough. I got a blessing bag. It had two Hershey bars in it. You know, I'm just grateful that someone was thinking of us. Mm. It's just a small little way of saying, hey, we're here. We would love to to be your church. If there's a, a way that maybe a listener wants to kind of chip in or contribute some Hershey bars... Um, Scott, how could they do that or how could they get in contact with you? Yeah, two ways. Um, one, you can purchase something and bring it in to the church. You can leave it at the front desk and I'll get it. Just put a little post-it note with Scott on it and it'll make its way back to me. 
uh, or you can financially contribute. So you can uh, go to the church's website and you can give, or you can write a check into the church and just mark it for community benevolence and it'll find its way uh, to the right place as well. You know, if anyone has a question, you can email me. Uh, my email address is on the church website, but it's scott at fbc.hsv.org, S-C-O-T-T. Yeah, and one of the things with that, you know, on the on the service projects list that we have, it's just a list of ideas uh, to encourage you to think about ways of ser- to, to participate in service. Everything from doing something, you know, with Lincoln Village or with HAP or with Mana House uh, to doing a, a blessing bags. You're not limited to the thing on the things on that list. Uh, but we certainly, you know, want to use that as a way to kickstart uh, you into doing some sort of service, some sort of project. And as as Scott said, I've seen some of the notes that he's gotten from from people and how meaningful it's been to them. So uh, certainly, any way that you could help out with that or do something like that, or or let talk with me or Scott or Sam some more about ways that uh, you can plug into something in our community. We had a we had a group from Quest just go last month and participate with Lincoln Village, which is a really great ministry over there. Um, they, they do a, a really, a lot of really good things, um, with what they're doing and, and the, the community that they have over there. So that's another one, just, uh, anything that we can do, uh, as a, as a ministry, as a group, uh, I highly encourage us to do that. So that being said, um, we are, you see us, uh, you know, if you're watching a video, we're with our familiar home backgrounds again, but we're actually not doing this at night. We're doing this at like two thirty in the afternoon. We were planning to do it today, uh, from the church and then, uh, the internet went down and it was down for like two hours. So we were like, well, let's all go home. But like, there was like a two hour span there where we were like, what do we do? How, how, how did mm-hmm. people used to work without the internet? Cause it, like there was literally, <laughs> we couldn't do anything. It was crazy. Yeah. So I learned that in college. It's one of those things where it's like, just take away electricity. Cause not having internet, like that's the killer. At least without electricity, you know, everything's gone. You're not going to tease yourself into being like, ah, well, let's just go watch Netflix and then be reminded that you don't have internet. Yeah. There was one point I said to Bethany, my assistant, I was like, well, I'm going to read a book, um, <laughs> knock on my door if the internet comes back or whatever, and it never did. So here we are from home, 2.30 in the afternoon. Not a bad uh, not a bad gig, gig. I'm not complaining. So, well, let's jump into the Enneagram for this week. So last week we did the anger triad. This week is the feeling triad. Is that right? And it's mm-hmm. numbers two, three, and four. That's right. Excellent. So we're doing the feeling triad. Um, like talked about last time, each number in this triad will either externalize, internalize, or avoid that thing. So twos externalize feelings, meaning they feel other people's feelings. Um, threes will avoid feelings, and fours will internalize their feelings or feel their own feelings. Um, in this triad, all three numbers are hunting for their identity. Um, they, they reject that they can be seen for who they are or unconditionally loved as they are each in their own way, but they're all kind of struggling with that similar thing. So we're going to kick it off today with number two. So twos are known as the helper or the giver. So they have uh, an often an inability or an unwillingness to acknowledge their own needs. So right, they're going to be really cognizant of others' feelings and needs. They're the externalizer in this triad. So they're often seen as the ultimate helpers. You know, they really are in tune with how everyone else is doing, what everyone else needs. Can I do anything for you to help you out? Um, But what they really want more than just to help is they really want love and affection to be met. This is their way of showing that they love you is by doing things for you, being there for you, not only practically, but emotionally as well. So if they can gain your approval, uh, if they meet their needs, 
Uh, and if they can't meet your needs, then they feel like there's no use for them. They often have a difficulty with having boundaries and knowing what's too much. And so they're really going to heavily invest themselves into other people. Uh, their gift is really the ability to empathize and connect. And so, right, we're in this feeling triad. They're the externalizers of feelings. And so they're able to really touch base on what everyone is feeling on an individual level. So we'll talk about this a little bit more with threes and fours. Um, and Allie and I are in this triad. So I'm a three, which is an avoiding of feelings. Allie's a four, so she's going to feel her own feelings really well. Uh, so twos and threes in this kind of aspect um, are opposite in the fact of I'm not going to be able to touch on what other people are feeling at a moment. I'm not going to be adept. I don't have that skill set readily available. Twos are the opposite. I will say that's sort of correct. But so twos, um, twos can sense the feeling of individual people. Yeah. So they can be attuned with you very well. Threes will not be doing that for individuals, but they'll be doing it for the room. So like they can read the room really well. They can read if people are picking up what they're talking about, if they're succeeding at whatever they're trying to convey to a group of people. So they are still picking up on the feelings of others, but it's much more about the feeling in a room or a group, not on the individual level. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Read the room. So nines and twos, yeah, very much so. (laughs) Nines and twos are going to look pretty similar from the outside. They're both bridge builders. They're both really good at networking, connecting. They like peace. They like tranquility. Uh, Their motivations behind this are different, right? The Enneagram is really touching on the how, the thing that's underneath that's causing you to do these things. So nines are looking this way because they want to avoid confrontation. They really want peace uh, and tranquility so that there isn't anything under the water that's ruffling the feathers. A twos, they want to appease people. So instead of avoiding confrontation, they're doing it to appease you. A twos at their best are warm, they're intuitive, they're self-sacrificing, they're gonna go the extra mile to help you out. Uh, they're really generous individuals and they can be altruistic uh, at their peak. So we talk a lot about twos as givers. Um, and there's different types of giving for twos. So some of the time um, it's altruistic giving and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's so that you need me because I gave to you. And there's this expectation sort of, um, sometimes the Enneagram calls it manipulation, but it's not really the same uh, manipulation that we would think of where it's, it's not intentional. Um, it's very subconscious. So a two is not going to wake up and say, I'm going to go and bring coffee to this person because I know she's having a hard day and later she's going to need me and she's going to want me in her life because I did this thing for her. That's not the thought process that goes through her head. Um, but being self-aware is a really good first step to knowing why am I doing this? Is this actually helping this person? Um, is this something that's mine to do? Is it something that helps them or is it something that makes me feel good in other words? Is that? Yes. Okay. Um, they also, so they're really good at picking up on your needs Twos also think that because they're good at reading your needs, that you can then in turn read their needs, um, which is not the case. And it's really difficult in relationships for them because they, A, usually don't know what their needs are, and B, it's frustrating because they just assume that you're going to meet their needs without them actually expressing them to you, which is a really difficult thing to have in a relationship because communication is necessary. And so because they have that gift, they kind of assume you can do the same for them, which isn't true. Two's biggest need is that they need to be needed. And so they're going to help you. But the backside of it is that their generosity can become a crutch for them that 
when you need something done, I want you to turn to me to do it because I'm going to meet your need. So their biggest fear is being unwanted. I mean, this, their needs and their fears are really playing off of each other. That fear of being unwanted plays into them trying to meet your needs because they feel like if they continue to meet your needs, then you'll continue to want them in your life. Um, and they fear that if they somehow can't meet your needs or they don't do that, um, you won't want them there because they think that's their only purpose is to meet your needs. So they don't value what they bring to a relationship simply for who they are. It's, it's, almost, it's transactional in some sense? Yeah. Choose wouldn't see it that way, but okay. yes, that's... <laughs> okay. Um, it can, it looks that way to other people sometimes. Okay. Allie, to what you were saying earlier, kind of expecting, twos expecting people to see things through their lens. It almost seems that way with a lot of numbers, right? That a lot of people without recognizing what their number is and what motivates them almost enter into dynamic relationships with folks, expecting them to behave the way they are, be motivated by what they're motivated by. Yeah. I I think that's part of why the Enneagram is so helpful is because it gives you all these different perspectives. Um, Suzanne Steele says it's a, it's wasted time to want people to be anything other than what they are. So a lot of times we try to make people see things how we see them, um, and try to kind of move them in our perspective. We need to also recognize that our perspective is not the only one, um, doesn't make it bad. It just means that there are other ways to see the same thing. Um, and that is kind of the gift of the Enneagram is able to see these different types of seeing. We talked a lot about a wounding and a healing message. So a wounding message being something that they have heard or internalized that is not helpful. And the healing message being the thing that they do need to hear to make them a holistic person. So a two's wounding message is that it's not okay to have your own needs. And therefore the healing message for a two is that you are wanted. A twos can become, twos can often be some of the best friends that you're going to have. I mean, they are the most generous, the most helpful people at their core. The problem with the two is when they don't have the healthy boundary up outside of that. And they give so much of themselves and they expect you to then uh, reciprocate that. And when it's not met, they felt like they were used or that, you know, their, their needs are tied up with your needing them. So twos are very people, people. They're so people oriented. They want to be in relationship, they want to know you, they want to, you know, be great friends with you and meet your needs and all those things that we said. Um, but it's very hard for them to be alone because they're so dependent on other people. And so if you're too, a really good practice is to try to find um, time to be alone and to learn your needs and to meet your own priorities before you're meeting those of another. That's where those unhealthy boundaries can come into play, where you're sacrificing all of your own things um, to meet the, the needs of others. So within a Christian context, you know, just kind of thinking out loud, it might almost seem that a lot of people are twos, right? Because that's one of those things to take care of the needy or be there for someone who's down on their luck and for, you know, or just kind of, you know, expand yourself to not necessarily worry about your needs, but about other people. So, I mean, I, I guess what I'm getting to is just because you're helping someone or being, you know, caring for someone else that doesn't necessarily make them a two, right? That is true. So, yeah, <laughs> you should still help people if you're not a two. You should still want to help people and try to do things that are helpful for them. It's just going to look and feel a lot different for other numbers. Their motivation for doing that's going to be different. But yes, we're all called to be helpful. Um, and something that's hard for a two is like, yeah, as Christians, we are called to help others um, and to go out of our way to help others. But there's also a point where you have to say, like, is God calling me to do this? Or am I? It's almost a selfish, um, prideful thing. Because the reason behind some of the doing is 
because they're wanting you to need them. So kind of the motivation behind helping, um, is this altruistic helping or is this just, it sounds weird to say selfish helping, but does that kind of make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the mission world about 10 years ago, two really famous books came, books came out, Toxic Charity and When Helping Hurts. So if you want to take this two mindset into the church world and into the mission world, right? We can be so helpful that it becomes destructive when we're not looking at the ways in which we are helping. When we see ourselves as agents of change in the world and our livelihoods are dependent on us coming in and being the savior, right? This causes a toxic charity of sorts. So being able to do things with wisdom and discernment and to have boundaries and to look at the long term how to do things well, uh, not only for a two is a healthy spiritual practice, but in missions in the church world, it's a healthy practice as well. So another way to look at that too, um, a very common story used of the Bible for, for a two is the story of Martha and Mary, um, where Martha is doing all of these things to be helpful and like all this housework and all those things. Um, and she's getting frustrated that Mary's not doing those things and she's just sitting with Jesus. Um, but like part of your spiritual practice is to do that is to just sit um, and that's eventually hard for it too so kind of recognizing the difference in those things and how it is good to be helpful but it's not good to just busy yourself with help um, when that's not your call and then the last thing for twos uh, so we've talked about arrows if you look back at the enneagram diagram you're going to see these interconnecting lines that are moving in between the numbers so for two when they're at their healthiest in security they're going to look like a four the romantic which we'll talk about today so they're going to become more self-nurturing like a four is. They're going to become more emotionally aware of their own internal needs. Uh, when they're in stress at their unhealthiness, they're going to look like the eight, which we talked about last week, the challenger. They're going to become more aggressive. When they're so dependent, so needy on other people needing them, they're going to become almost domineering. Well, that's interesting because uh, while y'all were talking, I was, I was sitting here thinking, you know, one of the things we said last week about eights was, they seem like the type of people that maybe you may have heard someone described as an alpha male or as, you know, having a Superman complex. And it sounds like some of that maybe could, could go with it. Like there may be some similarities or like if there was like a Venn diagram, there'd be like a little bit of overlap maybe with an eight or a two, or am I totally reading that wrong? I guess there would um, be if there'd be an I arrow. So. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know. Okay. I think, what I thought you were going to say was that these are numbers that we typically gender. So like we typically gender eight as male and we typically gender twos as female. Um, we talked a lot about how a lot of Southern women can test as twos right. because of cultural um, expectations. And so those helping roles that women are usually put into, um, we can automatically assign some of these things to um, females where there are, it's, not gendered there are men that are men that are twos um it's just something that i think culturally we're trained to expect um, from specific people i can i can think of unhealthy twos in my life that um ingratiate and ingrain themselves so well within a system that they uh then can turn around and look like an eight and be aggressive when you're not reciprocating the same type of passion into what they're doing because they feel like they're helping you. Right. So why would you not meet them halfway? Right. And so when you disagree and when you're not doing that, uh, I think it's really easy for a two to look like an eight at 
around healthiness. Also like owning that helping role. So like if you're meeting them within like a service thing or they're in charge of a service project or helping, they can come across that way because that's like their forte. Um, and so that can become more aggressive too. So I was going to ask that too, is are, are they, is a two typically threatened by like teamwork or, or like, do they like to fly solo? You know, if you were to say, you know, if they, at their job, if they, if someone got brought on board to say, hey, you guys are going to work together now, would they feel threatened by that? Because it seemed like with the need to be needed, that that, that would be something that would be difficult for a two in a work environment or perhaps even in, maybe even in a partnership uh, like marriage. That might not be a good one, but, but any kind of partnership or relationship or, or teamwork environment, it seems like they could be threatened by that possibly. Yeah, I think twos are ultimate people, people. So they always want to work with people. And for the most part, you know, we're, we're saying these descriptions, they're often a description of an unhealthy two, right? We're trying to give you kind of the two ends of the spectrum so it really comes out of what this person might look like. The twos in my life, they want to be with people. They want to work in teams. They're great team workers. I mean, they are, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to say that well, but I would say that team, teamwork for a two is perfect. So they wouldn't be threatened by that. I think the best answer for that question is that we don't know. Okay. Um, <laughs> like they are people oriented, so they would be great work at working with people. I don't specifically know, you know, they might try to out help you or I, I'm not really sure. Um, that's not a situation that I have encountered and I, I'm not super close with any, I mean, I have friends that are twos, but like of the people in my most inner circle, I don't have any twos. Um, so it's hard to kind of know what that would look like. It almost seems like they could be the best and worst group partner right? The best because they want to put in, you know, as much as everyone else is. But then if you have a slacker, you know, then maybe they become that like burn the group to be like, quit slacking, meet us or meet me at the level I've put in. I expect this of you. Why don't you know this? Why aren't you doing it? Well, uh, we, we asked last week, what number is John? I know I'm not this one. So <laughs> this is not me at all. <laughs> so let's talk about the next number. So the threes, uh, this is my number. Um, and I should say off the bat that this is the best and greatest number on the Enneagram. I just wanted to say that to get Allie's reaction. I just got a death stare <laughs> and a big sigh. Okay, so the three is known as the achiever or the performer or the chameleon. Um, it's said that America is a three country, that we are very driven as a country to be efficient, to be successful, and to look good while we do it. So these are kind of all typical uh, descriptors of a three. They put a lot of energy into crafting their image. So they want uh, you to see them as the best version of themselves. This can often come to them uh, as self-deceit. And truthfully, we talked about the beginning that each of these numbers is really working towards their identity. So for threes, the walls that get put up before them are trying to be everything to everyone. And so they lose what they are to themselves. Um, I can think of like girls that I dated in high school and one was really sporty and another's family owned a ranch. And when I was dating one, I was wearing like all my sports clothes. And the other one, I was listening to country music and cowboy boots. Gross. Yeah, gross. thank you, Alex. <laughs> Please, Are there pictures that exist of this? Please. Uh, hard pass. God, I hope not. Um, <laughs> but they're always trying to fit into the group. Allie mentioned uh, that they can uh, 
read a room really, really well. So for me, this looks like if I walk into a restaurant or if I work into uh, a young adult meeting or if I walk into an experienced adult meeting, um, I can strike up a conversation with anyone in the room and find some type of connecting point because I'm really uh, trying to be a chameleon. I'm trying to fit in to that room to the best of my ability. A way that that's often described in the Enneagram is that threes are the poster child for whatever they're wanting to be a part of um, because they can put on the projection of success for whatever they're participating in. Well, Did yeah. you already say the thing about deceit? Oh, good. We wanted to bring that up so, again. <laughs> <laughs> something that's really important to know about threes and that's really helpful for me to know about Scott is that we talk about this like it's deceit, like threes are not being who they are, um, but really they're deceiving themselves. It's not that they're intentionally doing this. They do this naturally to the point where they don't even know who they are at times because they have shifted to meet your um, perfection, desire, want, whatever it is, or the group's want. Um, so much that they don't even know who they are anymore. So a lot of it is not even intentional deceit, but they're fooling themselves. They so do it so well that they don't even know. So it's almost very possible that a three could look like a one, right? A perfectionist if they're in a group or a context where you just have a lot of those types of people around you. Yeah, very much so. You know, um, the motivations are going to be different. So for ones, they want to be correct. Threes want to look good as they're doing it. They want to succeed. They want to succeed. And so, and they want to be efficient in doing so. So threes are often uh, extremely goal-driven people. They want to have a list. They want to have something they're working towards. And they're often competitive like an eight. Uh, but they are competitive because they want to win. Mm -hmm. And so I remember as a kid, uh, I wasn't a great basketball player. And so my dad wanted to sign me up to play middle school basketball. And I was good enough to make the team. But I didn't want to play because I knew we weren't going to win. And so why play? So the competitiveness for a three can become uh, all-consuming for an unhealthy number. At their best, threes are, you know, these are the go-getters. They're the things that are getting people done. They're getting it done at a really high level. Um, but it's this, there's this internal struggle. There's not a conscious self-deception. But if I'm trying to be everything to all people, I might not know who I am at my core. Yeah, well, this is a, <clears throat> this is a good well, let me, session. Let me ask you this. Um, <laughs> is there a... Okay, so this isn't me at all, but I feel like I've adapted to pick up some of these traits. Um, and at least what we've heard so far, I would say if there's a profile for uh, a church looking for a pastor, would would three kind of be the the number profile? 100%. Yeah, threes are the, the ultimate mega pastor yeah church pastor right there they can they can multitask they can do things really well they're going to be good speakers because they're comfortable being in front of people uh, they're efficient and they're effective yeah and they're charming and they really care about um they can care about numbers because that's an appearance of success um that's kind of i mean yeah so yeah it's funny threes want the trophy <laughs> all that kind of stuff because I'm, I'm sitting here thinking of um I had a, a boss one time that his his words to me were, I needed to learn how to do church, which to me was like offensive because I was like, I'm not like, I'm not going to be this, like, not who I'm not going to be not who I am just to make a room happy. Right. Um, but that was totally who he was. And mm -hmm. um, it, I really like 
I really wrestled with that, and it kind of makes sense now what you what you say, and I I see that a lot. You when you said this is like America is a country of threes, I was sitting here thinking I was like, ministry is kind of a profession of of threes, or at least that's what people want from their mm-hmm. ministers, and so there are you know certain of these skills that I've developed that didn't come natural to me, but it's not who I am, um, and I and I I don't. I don't do anything like you said in a way to be deceptive, but I do know, yeah, like when you when you said you walk into a room and you know, oh, I've got to be this way in a certain room, or I've got to be a, another way in another room. I mean, that that's a part of ministry too, is knowing knowing your audience and knowing what's going to resonate with people, and that's not deception. It's just it's just being able to connect with people uh, as as well as you can. We talked about threes being feeling avoidant. And so I don't think that avoidant is maybe the best term for a threes, maybe just a lack of vocabulary to describe their feelings. So threes, right? I agree with you. They're the most culturally acceptable number at their best in our environments, especially our work environments. I mean, these are the people that they don't call in sick. They don't come late. They're going to get things done. It's going to be done at a really high level. It's going to look good. It's going to be flashy. But the bad side is if that, they can burn themselves out. And so threes often are prone to depression. Uh, threes are prone to loneliness, right? If they're trying to be all these things to every single person, they might lack these core friendships that a good uh, human being needs to exist in the world. Part of why that's hard for threes too is that relationships are about being and not about doing. And so they want relationships and feelings to be like tasks to check off. They're very task oriented. Um, and that's just not how relationships or feelings work. Um, and so it's a really difficult, um, it's a difficult way to find themselves in a relationship where they're wanting to check this box and move on. Um, but that's really just not how it works. Um, so that's a difficult thing for threes. Yeah, we talked about threes. Their biggest need is to be successful and their biggest fear is of being worthless. So, right. If I'm not winning, why run, why run the way? Gosh, why run the race? If I am not winning why run the race um their their wounding message is that it's not okay to have their own feelings uh, and they need to be successful you gotta win Uh, i grew up in a very competitive household we always played sports you gotta go and be the best their healing message the message that they need to be receiving is that you're loved just the way you are you don't need to do anything you don't need to win anything uh this isn't a participation trophy type thing but it is a no, your worth as a human being is not dependent upon all these external circumstances. And that's also your love just as you are because threes don't always knew, know who they are. Um, so it's not, it's not that I love you just as you have made yourself to be so that I approve of you, but it's I love you as you are. And for threes who, if you know you're a three and you're trying to sort that out, a good place to start is like threes have a different persona for all of their friend groups. And so a good place to start for threes is seeing what about you remains the same between all of those groups and kind of starting there or finding someone who's really invested in you, who can help find that authentic self with you um, and kind of point out ways that you might be deceiving yourself. That's a very sensitive way, um, sensitive thing to do with somebody. So that's like, don't go there if you're not that person for them. Don't assume that it's okay for you to say you're being deceptive or that was a lie um, because that's really hard for somebody to hear if they can't see it in themselves. So arrows for a three, um, when they're unhealthy and they're stressed, they're going to look like a nine, the peacemaker, 
they're going to become apathetic and disengaged. So if they're really burnt out with work, if they um, aren't doing as good as they think they can and should be doing, then they're just going to check out. Richard Rohr says that the saddest number on the Enneagram is an unsuccessful three. So a three who's not succeeding at what they're trying to do can find themselves in this place. Um, and they are going, going, doing people all the time, doing oriented. And it's really easy to see this shift into nine because they just start to kind of veg out. They just kind of um, disengage from life, which is not their typical energy. When they're healthy and their security, they're going to look like the six, the loyalists, they're going to become more cooperative. They're going to be able to work with more people. They're going to drop their competitive guard. And it's said that threes, uh, they like to play the crowd. And so they're going, to, they're going to be on everyone's team. I don't want to make anyone mad because I got to look good for everyone. But when they're at their best, they're going to become more loyal to one or two people. So for Allie and I, it might look like she's telling a story of someone that really ticked her off. And I'm going to be the devil's advocate for that person because I don't want to make that person's probably doing their best. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make her mad. mad. (laughs) Exactly. When I'm at my healthiest, I am, I'm on team Allie and no other team doesn't even matter. Uh, They can hate me. So I'm a three. Um, You know, these, uh, these descriptions hit a little too close to home. So what's spiritually nourishing to you? Yeah, a good, a good practice for threes, uh, one is Sabbath. So being able, especially to turn off your phone, to get off social media, um, to stop trying to craft an image, just go outside, go on a walk for an hour a day, and do something to get out of your head, to get out of the office, to turn off. Another good practice, um, I have someone that says threes need a, one good humiliation a day, uh, the art of failure, uh, of not getting what they want, not getting the first prize and knowing that, hey, we did something. It didn't work out great, but we did our best. That's a good practice for a three. Mm-hmm. Also, the art of celebration. Threes are often task, task, task. I'm going to do things. It's going to get done. All right, let's do the next thing. So for them to sit with the group of people that they just did something with and to really reflect. So communal practices of um spiritual disciplines and Lectio Divina and all of these things that cause you to slow down and to be with others and to not have to put on a front is a really good practice for a three. So it, it sounds like threes are very socially adept. So does that mean that they're extroverts? So I think that's really interesting because like Scott is not an extrovert. He's an introvert. Um, and when I was first getting to know him, it was kind of hard to type him because of that. Because yeah, threes typically, not all the time, are extroverts and so it comes across this way they're very socially oriented all those things um but again not always there's always people who don't fit that stereotype and so scott can look sometimes like a five because he's very work driven but he's also keeping all that to himself um so it just kind of depends on when you see that person but yeah i would say extroverted is usually the and for me for me introversion and extroversion is a lot about where you draw your energy from so for me i draw my energy from being alone being introverted. Um, but as a three, I can put on in public really, really well. So I can get up and preach on a Sunday. It's um, just exhausting for you. It's just tiring. Oh, yeah. I just go home and I'm wiped. So there's a difference between the capacity to be in a crowd and from where I draw my energy. Yeah. So that makes me a little different uh, with most normal threes. Yeah, that is something I have no doubt about. I am 100% an introvert. People are surprised to find that out because 
I mean, I don't have a problem being around people or being in a, in a crowd or whatever. I just have to gear up for it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm comfortable being on stage in, in, in front of people if I have time to like kind of mentally prepare for that, but it is exhausting. And I do like, I, I just need to be alone when it's over or even preferably right before. In fact, there was one time I had to give a tour of the building. Uh, it was on a Wednesday and I had like an hour break between that. And then I had some responsibility Wednesday night. And I don't think anybody was expecting me to be around. And I went to my office and I closed the door and I was just wiped. And then like Sam walked in and was like, hey, man. And I was like, <laughs> what's up? <laughs> like I was just I was dead. And I felt so bad afterwards because I was like, Sam probably thought I was like, like disappointed to see him. And I really wasn't. I was just I was out. I was gassed. I don't know how that translates as much to Enneagram. I will say this, like as you were talking, um, it sounds like, OK, Scott Day's a three. And maybe the Apostle Paul is a three. Um, I don't know where Jesus would fall on the Enneagram. I will say I'm an INFP and so is Jesus. So <laughs> just whatever, whatever that does. Yeah, we can talk about that offline. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think we can type Jesus. I would say Paul is a, is a one. You think? We can talk about that more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would. Very rules-based. This is well, right. This is wrong. Clear. All things to all people, though. But, yes, I also... Take that verse. Well, I don't know. It's a good question. You should write a book. Make a lot of money. That, well, yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. <laughs> or write a book. Make no money. That, that too. Yeah. <laughs> Much so. more realistic. Yeah. Okay. Last number in our feeling triad is the four. So the fours are the individualist or the romantic. Allie is a four. So hopefully we'll get some good personal information as you did for the threes. <laughs> that was just as defeating as that was. Okay. I don't feel right doing the description for the four because I feel like it's, it's not going to hurt my feelings. I, yeah, but I don't know if you're going to agree with it. We might, I'll we might have a dust I'll jump up. in if I don't want to say that. Okay. Well, I'm just going to read what I wrote about fours <laughs> and I'm sure that Allie will um, correct, you correct me many, many times. Okay. I'm not looking forward to this. Fours are uh, thought of to be the most rare number on the Enneagram. And this is a fact that fours absolutely love. So they like being the individuals. They like being the bohemian. They like being the only one like themselves. So the key characteristics of a four would be what? What would you say? Just keep going. (laughs) (laughs) I would say that a four wants to be special. They want to be unique. Uh, They want to be not like everyone else. So I will jump in here. Here we go. (laughs) So most books that you're going to find for the Enneagram say, so each number has a need. Um, It's like twos were the need to be needed. Threes were the need to be successful. Is that right? Yes. And then fours, it usually says the need to be special. Um, I really like Suzanne Seville changed that the last time that I heard her do the Know Your Number workshop. And she changed it to fours need to be known and understood. Um, so I never liked special because it indicated that I was doing things intentionally, um, so that you would think I was special. And I just don't like that word. It just kind of, I didn't like it. It didn't fit me very well. Um, which is a very four thing because everyone in the force would be like, yeah, that's sort of me, but you still didn't fully get it. Um, that's a pretty <laughs> good four joke, but I love that she changed it to the need to be understood Um, Because fours feel very misunderstood by people. Um, That is a very big struggle for them. So the need to be understood is um, a better description in my opinion. Fours are depth 
If you like Shrek, they are like a piece of cake or an onion. There are many, many, many layers to a four. Uh, there's complexity in everything that they do. Fours on this feeling triad are going to be the internalizers. So they are feeling their own feelings and they're going to feel them deeply. So fours are going to experience the same emotional range uh, that I would in a month. So Ali's day is going to have, you know, multiple huge... In one day is what he's saying. Yeah. The amount of feelings that I experience in one day is the amount that he would feel in one month. So the range of emotions that Ali's going to feel uh, is going to be wide. And my day is going to be very monotone in terms of feelings. So fours can often be described as dramatic because of that, um, which really hurts my feelings if you call me dramatic <laughs> because I just feel things really intensely. Um, I'm not putting on like dramatic makes me feel like you think I'm being over the top intentionally, but I just feel things to that intense depth. Um, so those are, it's really how I feel. It's just a really big feeling. And most of my feelings are really big. You ever know when you have a fight with your spouse and then you say like that one line and when you say it, you're immediately like, Oh, I'm, I'm dead. I'm dead. If I ever say stop being, stop so, dramatic. being so dramatic, it's over. Nice. World War Three. <laughs> That's nice. the atomic bomb. Don't do it. Okay, so fours, they are all about being authentic, right? They want to be, uh, they don't want to be, they are unique. They want to be understood, but they're going to be the chorus, the truest version of themselves. So this is really interesting. We talked about threes and Ali is a four. There are a lot of huge differences, especially with their identity and their emotional range. And so Ali and I are going to call ourselves polar complements because we are going to be very different in a lot of these phases and characteristics, but we've learned uh, language and how to adapt with each other. So we talked last time about how eights don't see you if you don't bring your own energy. Um, fours don't see you if you aren't authentic. So if I think that you're being fake, I don't really want to have anything to do with you. That doesn't appeal to me. I like people being real to who they are. Um, that can be a fault for me. I, I either don't share with you or I share everything about me to you. Um, it's not intentional. I hate that I do that, but like, that's just who I am and I'm going to be who I am. I don't like hiding who I am. Um, so authenticity, authenticity is just huge for a four, um, who I am, why am I here? Kind of purpose driven in that way. Um, fours are not doing orient, uh, they're very doing repressed. So, um, fours spend a lot of times in their feelings and then thinking about their feelings and then not really doing anything about that. Um, similar to nine. So my best friend's a nine. We're very compatible in that we don't <laughs> want to do things. Um, it's not always the most productive experience. <laughs> and, and what this might look like for me as a three, I might get up and give a presentation. And then Allie will meet me when I get off and says, you didn't, you don't believe any of that, that you just said. And I'm like, you're right. I don't. <laughs> right. But she knows not only herself, she knows me and the core of who she is, that piece of her identity she doesn't want to put any type of facade over it. That doesn't make any sense. Like, why do that? This is who you are. Why be anything else? A fours are super creative. They often take two more artistic expression type positions. Uh, they can be procrastinators. Like Ali said, they're doing repressed. Uh, in relationships, they're very emotionally intense and they want to be met with that same emotional intensity. Um, they're the often the only number that's capable of sitting with someone's pain and not having to fix it. So these are some of the best people in terms of uh, I'm carrying this grief and trauma. Force can sit with you there and not make you do anything with it. 
So people tend to think of fours as emotionally weak because they are up and down with their feelings all the time, but actually fours are emotionally the strongest. And so for a lot of numbers, when you're experiencing a big feeling that you're not comfortable feeling that you haven't really dealt with before, um, fours are really good at sitting there with you um, because we're not made uncomfortable by big feelings or by melancholy. We kind of sit with that. We kind of like melancholy. Um, so it's not like we're like feeding off of your feelings, but we are, we're okay. Um, I can, I can sit with you and I don't need to fix anything for you. Um, and that's very unique to fours. Um, so that can be a great thing. Something else I was going to point out is that fours, um, think that something is fundamentally wrong with them, that something is missing from them. So they do think they're unique and part of that is a gift and part of that is, a curse um, because they think that they are different from everybody else um, and part of that is like phew I don't want to be like everybody else but part of it is also they talk about fours having envy um, and it's not envy of how we would usually think it um, it's not I want the things that you have or the status that you have it's I want um, the comfort that you have in the world because I don't feel that way things look easier for others than they feel for me everything feels harder um, and it feels like there's just like a tragic flaw with who I am um, for force. <laughs> mm. That's true of me, but it's just, that's a thing about force. Um, so that's something that they've been carrying for a long time. Fours, because they have such an emotional range and sometimes emotional volatility, they're going to ask a lot um, of how we're doing. Are we good? So Allie and I have been in our second year of marriage and we've known each other now for over six years. I'm not going to make eye contact because I hope that's right. <laughs> um, but she's, she's constantly going to ask, like, we're, we're doing okay, right? And it's just always this kind of push and pull of overthinking, um, not really know how they fit. Fours have a fear of abandonment, so that's partially where that comes from. But they also have a tendency to push and pull. That's something that the Enneagram talks a lot, a lot about. So they're going to pull you in and then push you away because they get nervous um, that they're going to kind of reveal it all and then you're going to leave them. So that's something that is a really frustrating relationships because fours aren't really doing that intentionally, just like threes aren't intentionally deceiving you or deceiving themselves. That's just something that they do. Um, and the more self-aware you can be as a four to see yourself doing that and communicate better and not just run away, um, it's a lot healthier for relationships. So the best thing if you're in a relationship with a four is to be consistent. So it's if they're letting you in, uh, stay in. Don't do anything to break that trust. Uh, be balanced, remain close to them. They're going to push and pull, but if you can stay the path, you're going to have a depth in a relationship that you're not going to have with any other number. So we talked about their biggest need. The biggest need, like Ali said, is not just to be unique or to special, but it's truthfully to be understood and known for their core, for who they are. They fear that they don't have any personal significance. Uh, their wounding message is that it's not okay to be happy or to be uh, too functional with who you are. And the healing message is that you are seen and that you are accepted for who you are. So when they're pushing and pulling, if they can lift the veil and show you the depth of their being and you accept them, that's the best thing that can happen for a four. So a personal example of this that's kind of frivolous. Um, I used to be like super into poetry, which is very four of me. Um, but I really like to keep those to myself um, unless it's something that I thought you would receive well because for me to share what I felt like was a piece of me in some way because it meant something to me if I shared that with you and you rejected it it took away the meaning for, for it from it for me 
Um, and so does that kind of make sense? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So lastly, arrows for a four, in uh, their unhealth and their stress, they can look like a two, the helper, because they're going to become over-involved and clingy. So their emotional needs uh, need to be met as well. Just like a two's external emotional needs need to be met, a one, or excuse me, a four's internal needs need to be met. At their best, when they're healthy and security, they look like a one. So they're getting things done, they're disciplined, they have a regular practice that they're maintaining. Um, so they're not only emotionally adept, they're also practically adept. So like I said before, fours are doing repressed. So when I go to one is like when I can actually channel my creativity into doing something. Um, that's where that comes out. We've also been saying, um, you know, they look like a one. That's not really true, but they take on one energy. So that's a better way to kind of think of it is not that you're becoming that number, but you're taking on energy from that number when you go to these. Does that make sense a little bit? Yeah. Well, and that's a great point too, because um, I think I asked you this back in March when, when we tried to have a in-person session, because um, <laughs> you, you say like when you when you're at your best or when you're at your healthiest, you take on the traits of a one. And I, I think I remember asking something to the effect of, so do you, do you try to become that or do you know what I'm saying? Or do you Which, try to change yes. your motivations? And so, and I remember answering you and I said, we've confused you because yes. <laughs> there are multiple ways to move on the Enneagram. One is within your number, becoming a healthier version of a four there in that the road back to you by Suzanne Sibiel and Ian Cron, you can look it up on Amazon. Um, but that's, in that book, it talks in the very beginning of the chapter of what a healthy four looks like or an average four or an unhealthy four. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of unrelated to your stress and security number. It plays into it, but it's not the same thing. So you can become a healthier version of yourself and you would still go into stress or security because of life circumstance. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and so and, and I think so for people listening without a lot of familiarity of it. I do want people to understand the goal is not for you to not be who you are. The The goal is mm-hmm. for you to understand who you are and be the healthiest version of that. And what are the traits that make you that or what are the traits um, that can prevent that in some cases? Or traits may not be the best word, but, you know, circumstances maybe. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so I do want to make that clear, I think, for people. If I'm understanding it correctly, it's really about just understanding who you are, not really trying to change that but be the healthiest version of that yeah so Suzanne Sewell talks about being able to see yourself non-judgmentally that's the gift and the work of the Enneagram um so it's it's being able to bring up that self-awareness that's your first step with the Enneagram is being more self-aware of the things that you do um and some of those unhealthy habits are things that you have more control over than you might allow yourself at times the more self-aware you are the more you can stop doing those unhealthy things but you're never going to not be your number And Suzanne Siebel also says, you know, the best part of you is also the worst part of you. So part of your gift is also a burden to you because it comes out in your, in your number in multiple ways. Um, so like fours, they want to be unique, but they also feel like they're tragically flawed. Like there are multiple ways to see the same thing. Um, so there, there is depth in every number, um, to, to grow into, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, go ahead. I was just going to say, and I I think there's something to be said, right? That it's, um, you were kind of talking about living into who you are, but not having it be a license for acting out in a particular or destructive way, right? Yeah. So it's not healthy for someone to say, well, I'm just a force. Like, this is just how I am. Sorry. You know, when they do something wrong, that's not okay. 
Um, like for eights, if you're being super aggressive towards people and it's hurtful, that does not dismiss that it's hurtful just because you're an eight. That doesn't make that okay. So you can still address parts of your number um, and look for the goodness in that and move away from the things that are hurtful or unhealthy. And I've honestly, my earliest familiarity with the Enneagram has been people doing that. People saying like, well, I'm just a eight, so that's just me. And uh, it's really, to me, refreshing to hear you say like, no, this isn't a license to be a jerk or whatever. I'm just a jerk. (laughs) That's got nothing to do with your number. I think that's one of the really hard things about the Enneagram becoming super popular right now and in the past few years, especially among like evangelicals, is that it's being misused in so many ways um, for silliness or just like memes. You know, that's all fun and good, but that's not the intent of the Enneagram. And to me, like I said, like something that's meaningful to me, that belittles it. But also it's not an excuse for poor behavior. Nothing is. Like you still make choices. You still do all those things. Um, Knowing who you are should help you grow as a person, not hinder you. So um, I think that's a really unfortunate use. And I think of the Enneagram a really bad name. I think there's a lot of people who have that same experience and are going to be like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I don't want to do the Enneagram. Why would I want to do that? Because it's just negative. Yeah. Um, or has no no use that is good. So that's very far from the original intent is what I would say. So seek your number to live in harmony with one another. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And everything you just said is how I feel about the Bible and how people <laughs> use the Bible because it's oh. um, it's a lot mm-hmm. of people use it to make excuses for them being jerks. And that's mm-hmm. that's not what it's for. It's to see yeah. who you mm-hmm. are and what you are on the inside and to be a better person through that. So before you read the summary, so what's like a good spiritual practice for a four? Oh, I meant to say that earlier. Thank you. Um, a really good spiritual practice for a four is to be content. Try working towards being content. Fours have a really, um, they struggle a lot with dissatisfaction because they want it to be this way. And even I have tried this. I have tried not having expectations and I still get disappointed. Um, that's really hard for a four. They live in this kind of dream world where they want everything to be beautiful and this artsy sort of way. And it's really easy for others to disappoint you. Um, so try to find content um, in your life circumstance. But also um, a good practice is to do something that's ordinary. Um, so fours want to avoid things that are ordinary. So I remember Suzanne Stabile in her Know Your Number workshop was talking to a friend who was a four and they were asking for spiritual practices. And in her town, um, a Whole Foods was about to open. And Suzanne Stabile said, your spiritual practice for this month is to go to Kroger. Because a four wants to go to this special store. They're attracted to that. It's different. It has these unique foods or whatever. Um, they don't want to go to the ordinary Kroger. Like that just doesn't appeal to them. It's not the same. And like that's a really silly example. But like find beauty in washing the dishes. Find beauty in these ordinary things because they are there. Um, living can be a poem in its own way if you find these ordinary exper- experiences um, meaningful instead of just big grandiose things. Excellent. Is that good? So something that just came to mind, um, and talk to it as much or little as you want, but just talking about social media culture and trying to live into this grandiose projection of life, is that something that might really attract fours or might be a trap for fours? I would say specifically Instagram would be a trap for fours because fours are very about aesthetics um, and ambiance. Like if you go in my house, I really care what my house feels like when you walk in because I want to create an ambiance for you. Um, I would say like for threes, Facebook is the bigger thing. Maybe. 
okay, whatever, <laughs> take that out. But um, yeah, true. I think so. It's true. But also like. I don't like posers and I don't like fake people. So Instagram also. Posers. <laughs> Who says posers? <laughs> but like, but okay, because you can fake authenticity through pictures. And yeah. so it bothers me when people recreate things that they weren't creative enough to think of themselves um, and then post it. So like, I think social media can actually irritate a four more than like draw them in. I think it just kind of depends. I think you could be unhealthy with social media in either direction. Mm. That bad. Stop laughing at me. Sorry. Posers. Posers. People, it word used to be day. a word. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm old. No, it's all good. So yeah, okay. uh, read summaries. the summaries to us. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what it's like to be a two. Again, we're reading out of the road back to you. Um, it says, when it comes to taking care of others, I don't know how or when to say no. I'm a great listener, and I remember the stories that make up people's lives. I am anxious to overcome misunderstandings in a relationship. I feel drawn to people. People think that I'm psychic because I usually know what other people need or want. It seems like people who love me should already know what I need. I'm more comfortable giving than receiving. I like my home to feel like a safe and welcoming place for family and for others. I care a great deal about what people think of me. I want other people to think I love everyone, even though I don't. I think, I'm sorry, I like it when people who love me do something unexpected for me. When people ask me what I need, I have no idea how to answer. When I'm tired, I often feel like people take me for granted. I feel angry and conflicted when my needs conflict with others. Sometimes it's hard for me to watch movies because I find it almost unbearable to see people suffer. I worry a lot about being forgiven when I make mistakes. All right, for the three. It's important for me to come across as a winner. I love walking into the room and knowing that I'm making a good first impression. I would rather lead than follow, and I am competitive to a fault. I don't like it when people get in my way and slow me down. I'm a champion multitasker. It's hard for me to not do work on vacation. It's hard for me to name and access my feelings well. Sometimes I feel like a phony. I like to be seen as successful in front of successful people. And people say that I don't know how or when to stop doing work. Okay, and then lastly for fours, it says, I never really felt like I belonged. I have so many feelings in a day, it's hard to know which ones to pay attention to first. In social situations, I tend to hang back and wait for others to approach me. Melancholy is comfortable for me, so it's annoying when people try to cheer me up. I'm not like everyone else, few. I'm very sensitive to criticism and it takes me a while to get over it. I spend a lot of time trying to explain myself. When people tell me to do, when, t- when people tell me what to do, I'm often tempted to do the opposite. Um, sometimes I just disappear and go radio silent for a few days. I'm okay with sad songs, sad stories, and sad movies. I feel like there is something essential lacking in me. I'm self-conscious. It's hard for me to find my place in a room full of people. People say I'm too intense and my feelings overwhelm them. I'm either an artist or highly creative. I come up with one amazing creative idea after another. It's executing them, that's hard. A lot of people misunderstand me and it makes me frustrated. I pull people in, but then I get nervous and I push them away. I worry a lot about abandonment. I just wanna give you a hug. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I picked up one other book today that came out yesterday, and it's called The Enneagram for Spiritual Formation nice. by A.J. Sherrill, who's a pastor oh, in yeah, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. I've seen Does the... his D-Man and teaches at Fuller as well. Yeah. So this is a new book. He just came out. It's got seven different chapters, and it's all about how do you take your number and what's a good biblical story or a spiritual practice. Hmm. So I recommend this. Even though oh, that's really cool. That yeah, no, excellent. No, I've okay. seen, I've <laughs> seen uh, advertisements for that. So excellent. Well, that is a great segue. We will post that in our show notes. Of course, any other resources we have. If you think you might be a two, three, or four, you want to look more into that, we'll have that in the show notes. Of course, The Road Back to You is a book we've referenced every episode. Uh, the Richard Ward book, uh, The Enneagram for Christian Formation, right? Is that, so we'll yes. have a link to that. A couple of podcasts we mentioned last week. We also, I want to give a special shout out to Susan Williams for giving us, uh, I'll look up what it's called. I don't remember what it's called. Christian <laughs> Perspective. There it is. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Allie. Um, Sorry, Scott just said yes, and I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> Again, threes want to please. Fours, <laughs> authenticity. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. The perfect example. Whatever it is, we'll link to it in our show notes. And then, uh, yeah, Susan Williams mentioned also a podcast with Andy Stanley, and uh, uh, he's doing it with Ian Crone. So uh, we'll link to that as well. Susan, thank you for listening. Debbie Daniel gave us a little bit of a shout out or, sh- or shot me a text the other day. Uh, she listens to us while she's on her boat, uh, which I don't know what that means because she doesn't invite us to be on the boat. So <laughs> Can we record it on her boat? I yes, feel like seriously. there's some I mean, what's going on? <laughs> so... Yeah, check our show notes. Thank you so much for listening. We're up to five, or no, 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 11 five-star reviews on uh, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called. Uh, so if you're listening on there, be sure to give us a review, like, share, do whatever else. Let people know that we're here. And then next week, we will be talking about five, six, and seven, which is the what triad? Sorry, the thinking triad? There, okay. Yes. You were thinking, you were thinking about that, so... The Thinking Triad 5, 6, and 7. We'll talk more about that next week. We will be joined by a special guest, so you'll have to tune in to see who that is. And with all that said, um, I guess we'll we'll close. And like I said, if you're in the Huntsville area, check us out at fbchsv.org slash youngadults. We'd love to uh, get to know you better and uh, spend some time with you and help you in in your Christian formation or spiritual formation or just discovery of who you are. So check us out there. And until next week, For Sam, for Scott, for Allie, I'm John. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you then. Things that. Oh, there's the cat. What's the cat's name? Juniper. Juniper, yes, and Kathleen. She's trying to drink my water. That's excellent. <laughs> we were really trying to hold it together, and then she started like almost licking the microphone, and I was like, nope, please don't, stop, stop, stop. That's awesome. I'm sorry. Um, no, it's oh all good. So one, oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to just include that in the show or like have an outtake. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, so sorry. No, it's all good. I... Um, I'm going to start over. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to go lock the door. <laughs> that was great though. Now, and I will, I'll put that in on the end.